Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Universe podcast. I am your host Leo, here with my co-host Charlotte. Hello. And our guest today, Florentina. Hello. Hello everybody. Florentina, this is your first time on the podcast. So if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners, that would be great. Hi, um, my name is Florentina. I'm a student of English. I'm interested in English literature, especially modernism, and I like to write, um, mostly poetry, but I'm also writing prose. It's a good introduction. You're reading one of your poems today. Yeah, that's right. And it's called Birds at Night. Why don't we start with the poem? Okay, yeah, sure, why not? Birds at Night. Night is getting closer, as I still remain. Lying on my sofa, waking not in vain. Of wildest dreams they sing to me, no sooner I am gone. To a land of thousand springs, of colours and of dawn. A reverie so sweet and bright, up in this meadow near, I almost thought I saw the light, the golden rays quite sheer. In this state I revel here, in charming company. For my ear they did endear with tender irony. Thank you. Thanks. Charles and I were discussing before whether we'd had this poem before. Have you ever read it at I the universe meetings? You um, have? Yes, sometime in April, but there were only about seven people at the meeting. Okay. Um, actually, this was the first poem I ever read at the universe. Oh, nice. And um, I, I wrote a continuation of it, um, a second poem called Lilacs and Fall, and there were more people present when I read that poem. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. It's good. We're having every every week or every every podcast episode. We're having. Uh, it seems we're having uh, some kind of uh, harkening back to first experiences mm-hmm. with the universe. Last week we had Philip on here who told us who read, actually read the poem he'd written at the poetry picnic where he was recruited for the universe and today you're reading the first poem you ever presented at the universe I think that's that's really nice yeah so Charlotte you had a lot of questions (laughs) well yeah I mean your your poem just inspired me so much so yeah thank you Um, I was wondering that's a semantic question you mentioned that land of thousand springs. What is yes. that? Where is that? Is that a place? Is that what? Does it have any meaning? Well, I probably should start with my inspiration for the poem because it kind of explains okay. that. <laughs> it was one um, evening in spring um, this year when I sat in my room and the window was open and um, it, it was not yet dusk, but it the sun was about to set. And um, I heard the birds sing outside and um, it really felt like a spring morning and not at all like a dusk coming closer. And um, <laughs> it was such a contradiction in, in a way, a bird, a good one. I, I like to work with contradictions in general, but um, it was such a unique feeling that I had to write about it. And as far as the land of Thousand Spring goes, um, what I wanted to imply with it is just um, this stereotypical spring morning with the birds singing outside the window and waking up to that, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, because for me it kind of had the notion of a real like country, a real land where it's spring I, all the time and there's springtime all the time and you wake up and there's another spring and you wake up and there's another spring. I did want to create some <coughs> distance to the reality and mm-hmm. the here and now, I guess, with the entire poem. Okay. Because it felt surreal, mm. the, whole, the whole situation, really. The poem also gives a very... Uh, Gesolf a very surreal aura in a way. And what I thought of um, this line of the Thousand Spring, my association was dreams. Because springs and there's things uh, springing forth from, from dreams. That was my association, kind of. Uh, yes, um, I think the whole poem could be interpreted um, as a reverie in general. To me, it wasn't, but. I, I'm totally fine if someone reads that into the poem, and I think there's something dreamy about the entire poem, mm-hmm. actually about a lot of my poems in general, mm-hmm. so um, that isn't far-fetched. There's also not really anything you can do about people reading anything into your poems. <laughs> it's not <laughs> really in your power, <laughs> sadly. Sometimes you'd wish <laughs> some interpretations just say no. <laughs> Yes, I mean that. And uh, sometimes I just really want to explain my train of thoughts and, Mm. yeah. Of course, I'm not always able to. Sure, because at least for me, I can only, like, guess from my own experience, there isn't always a specific train of thought behind every single single line or is there for you? And no, not, not with most poems. With some of the shorter ones, probably, some of the mm. four-liners, but apart from that, probably not, yeah. It just feels right. Yes, exactly. I mean, I usually edit my poetry before reading it at the universe, mm. but um, even if I insert some lines or delete some lines, um, there's usually still this kind of continuation um, without and kind of abstraction or giving it too much thought, really. Everyone, I mean. I really like that you talk about night, but then again about bright light. <laughs> so there's, first of all, a nice rhyme, but also I kind of like that contrast between darkness and night and light at night. I, I find that really, really beautiful because it kind of also... Um, kind of gave me the feeling that the poem ends on a hopeful note but then again there was this part about the irony and I was like hmm, maybe it's bittersweet it ends bittersweet I guess Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's something that the reader should decide for him or herself Um, from my point of view it ends on a positive note and um, I don't mean irony or the whole light, bright and night <laughs> thing as something bad, not at all. I just like to play with contrasts and um, I like to call them impossibilities but they're probably more of unlikelihoods. Um, that's something I like to continue throughout mm-hmm. my other poems. Because actually if you went up to the north, like Norway or Finland, at springtime or even like in June, you would have a night with light because yeah, the I sun doesn't set. Experienced mm. that in that in the northern parts of Scotland even. Oh wow, yeah. amazing. Okay. So yeah. that kind of yeah, it's also this feeling that you get when you read this. So yeah, it's, it's 
like they're birds and they they kind of take away the night, they take away the darkness and bring you the light and the happiness. That's mm. something that I Yeah, that's what this. we usually think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Usual meaning. Mm. Sure. What I really like about birds in summer is that they often start saying before you can even notice yourself mm-hmm. that dawn is coming. Mm-hmm. For you, it's still darkness, but they've already sensed that somehow that's just the patch up and they're starting to to sing. Totally. Really excited. And then you also know that's just about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, your poem gave me a sense of yearning. I don't know what for, but I read it and I was really wistful afterwards. And I really like that. I really like it when, when poetry can give me such feelings or make me feel something like that. So I was wondering, what do you feel when you read it? Or what did you feel when you were writing it? That's a difficult question. Um, I should probably also explain that this poem was a, a turning point in my writing. And it was the first time I kind of acknowledged that I may be better at writing poetry than prose because I'm at that point um, I was trying to write prose and um, failing. Um, it always I always incorporated rhymes and rhythms into my. Um, prose back then and some of those things I turn into prose poems later on but I never wanted to be a poet actually and then this poem happened to me in a way and <laughs> it changed everything it changed, changed my outlook on my own writing mm-hmm. and um, as for the feeling I had when I was writing this it for the first time, it felt right to write a poem mm-hmm. rather than a short story, and it was a state of an absolute state of kind of in between reality and reverie. That was very much reality, though. Yes, um, I don't really know. So kind of yeah, but that's kind of I think what I what I tried to put into words but couldn't was this strange feeling of wanting to arrive and. Having arrived but not having arrived yet, something weird like it's that. Something mm. in between, this, which it? is what I called yearning, but I don't know. No, that's a good what? word to describe it. I really <laughs> like the phrase "the poem happened to you." <laughs> yeah, me too. Because <laughs> even though I know it's you know, writing poetry can also you know it requires skill and training and <laughs> talent, probably, and you know. That's a sense can be work sometimes, but often what it feels like is the poem happening to you. Yes. I think that's a really nice phrase. Thanks. Yeah, I, with poetry, um, much rather than prose, I often have to feel that there's a distinct feeling or a situation that would be just be worth to put into words, but only a few, only a few lines and. And sometimes um, there's just a line or several words popping up in my mind and I have to write that down, otherwise I'll forget it pretty soon. Mm. But um, by now, ideas usually enter my head in a rhythm and oftentimes even with rhymes and yeah. 
to your basically training your thinking to come up with these phrases already ready-made as poets or stock. It's not as if I was doing that intentionally, Mm -hmm. my brain somehow adapts and (laughs) (laughs) I mean um, I'm reading a lot more prose than poetry but nevertheless the poetry I do read um, affects me greatly and um, affects the way um, the ideas shape in my head. I was wondering if you read any poetry, and which you just said you did, and if so, then if there is a poet or multiple poets who influence your writing. Yes, definitely. Um, sometimes too much so. <laughs> my favorite poet is Emily Dickinson, mm. and. Um, <laughs> I'm currently reading her collected poems. Oh wow! Yeah, and she wrote about one thousand seven hundred seventy-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were published posthumous, right? I think. Yeah, she exactly. Right. She only published and about her sister ten. Yeah, her sister Lavinia. In her notebook, I think. Um, actually, it's a really a really interesting story because she told her sister to um, burn the poems after her death, mm-hmm. and her sister decided against it. Yeah. yeah. Luckily. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she published only about 10 poems during her lifetime and um, I don't know why why it is that exactly her poetry speaks to me the way it does, but in terms of form, um, something she wrote quite frequently were um, poems with eight lines with the second and the fourth, the sixth and the eighth line. Um, rhymes and that's something I also really like to do and concerning literature in general I'm a bit torn between romanticism and modernism and I think because she's although she's officially um, a romantic poet she's also somewhere in between there's some aspects of modernism she did revolutionize poetry in a way and because there's this in betweenness in, in my reading and writing in general, my, my views on literature, I think that um, combines very well and um, that also translates into my writing. Mm-hmm. And I also really like the topics she wrote about, like immortality and the witty contradictions. And there are just many things about poetry that I also like to do in my own writing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're you're fond of the formal elements in her poetry, and you said you like to also adapt them. How do you reconcile those formal elements with the poem just happening to you, or um, does the poem happen to you already completely, you know, perfect in form and rhyme? Definitely not, no. I mean, in the case of this poem, Birds at Night, um, I think it mostly did in terms of rhymes and rhythm. Um, but usually um, there's a string of words that enter my head and um, usually I begin with that as the first line and um, it's usually already in a rhythm. Then the second line just... Also happens, and um, yeah, the second line is usually not that hard to think of, and um, from there on, it demands <laughs> more work, and um, 
oftentimes I do have an idea, but I need to rephrase it and um, make a rhythm and find a uh, find a word that rhymes with the other words. And yeah, I think my now I do view um, uh, rhymes as something not as necessary as I did in the beginning when I started out writing poetry. And by now I've written a few poems that don't rhyme at all, but um, it took me a while to get to that point. Um, and I do prefer rhymes still. Okay. <laughs> My relationship with contemporary poetry is a bit strained, and yeah, and I tend to like 19th century poetry. Okay. <laughs> You say in the poem that you almost saw the light. And I, it kind of tripped me up because it's a conventional metaphor for passing away, seeing the light. And I didn't think that this was what you mean. And I, you know, platitudes is always something to avoid in a poem. But I find it very interesting if you use a platitude but don't use the platitude in, you know, it's accustomed to the usual meaning, but, you know, give it a new spin, kind of. I think that's really cool. I never thought of that, actually. <laughs> and, um, no, I didn't mean it in the sense of passing away at all. Um, no, death is something I don't mean to, to mention and um, signify in this poem, actually. I think what I mean by I almost thought I sort of liked is that um, it's more of a reference to a reverie and the state of in-betweenness and yearning again. Mm -hmm. That I'm going to direct in the direction of but being not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. I think something you said before, Charlotte, was also quite poignant. I think you said something about yearning but not knowing what you're yearning for mm -hmm. i think i know that feeling and it's 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 really it's super weird because it's it's painful and nice at the same time <laughs> yeah because of. yearning is not a bad feeling in itself it's just yeah it's weird so you you started your career so to speak as a poem as a poet it's a, a monumental point in your over as a an artist <laughs> if we want to put it into a grand one this is how it's going to be on your wikipedia page one day <laughs> i hope so <laughs> oh yeah uh have you always written in english or is there or was there also uh another monumental point <laughs> you changed languages well, um, first of all, I, I've always liked to write and um, I was always interested in literature, but um, particularly English literature. And um, even before I could read any of the classics in English, I read the German translations. So um, um, it was kind of natural to go into that direction, but... Um, I wrote some bits and pieces in German before I started writing in English, mm. but that came naturally, actually. Okay. Because um, yeah, it was always English literature that fascinated me the most. And do you only write in English now, or do you also sometimes write in German? 
No, I generally don't. Red and Sherman, I don't particularly like it. So weird, right? It's so weird. English just feels so much more natural for this kind of output, um, mm -hmm. for this kind of uh, self-expression, artistic writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same. It's really weird to write in general. You, you've never, well, I've, I have done it as a kid, but ever since I write this kind of writing, I do now, writing. <laughs> I think English is just su such a poetic language in itself. It just has, it just flows. Yes, it's exactly. just there and it flows, and you can, you can put it into any kind of shape you want, and it fits. And German is. It's such a harsh language, in my opinion. It's just um, big. <laughs> it's very big, and it, when you try to put it into a shape, yeah. it doesn't want to fit. You have to be, I think, in Germany, do you have to be really good at poetry? Mm -hmm. I mean, Rilke sure can make German sound like beautiful. beautiful and yeah. flowing, but you know, if you all know Rilke, <laughs> it's going to be a difficult task. I'm sometimes so in so much awe when I read uh, translations of English literature into German, and the German translation is top notch. I'm like, wow, kudos to these translators because that is really hard work. Yes. But I do feel that writing in. I mean, I, I think I writing in English is easier because. It just flows so much, and I can always say it's more distant from me. But I think writing in German is, for me, in some ways, the moment when I say, okay, I can't chicken out now. This is kind of me, and I have to put everything in there. Kind of, it's more conscious, I think. And when I with English, it's just like da 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 da, -da just flows, like like a river, like music in the background. I, I never made the distinction that differentiation for me depends on whether I'm writing prose or poetry. Mm -hmm. Because um, to me, um, prose is so much more strenuous to write. And I'm still trying to get into the habit of writing short stories regularly. I've got loads of ideas, but it's so much harder to write, uh, sit down and, and write it. Mm -hmm. and with poetry, you you're usually done within an hour and ideas just enter your head and yeah. there's not as much planning involved. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I talked, um, I talked about that with uh, Magdalena today from Trapez, who oh. we're in the same course yeah. today. And it's really weird because poetry is just, it's really good because you don't have to do any planning there's no, you know, there's no arc to a poem. There's no k different characters. There's no character at all that you need to consider, um, because the po poem, what's being said in the poem, is the character itself. Mm -hmm. But then, for me, that's why I can't write um, prose. But then there is people like Magdalena who also write uh, prose and not just. Poetry, who I have kind of both, both of those sides. Exactly. Usually, I mean, not with my really, really long stories, but with novels, I mean, okay, they have to be planned because at some point, if you don't plan, you get into 
a problematic situation, but with short stories, I've often been in the situation that they just happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like you said, this poem happened, and I didn't plan anything ahead. And I, this is kind of the the situation that I like the most because I just get into the flow and I have an idea and I sit down and I write it and then I'm done and I don't know one or two hours and I have this perfect story and it usually stays the way it came out of me because that's usually when I show it to people they're like but come on this is like your edited version right you edited that several times and then I said sorry that's just how it came out of me and they're like okay I have to edit my work a lot to get it into that shape and then I said sorry that was a just happened that was a humble brag no I'm just kind of um, it's fine. You can humble brag on this program. <laughs> this is a humble bragging friendly program. <laughs> I don't mean to brag. It's just that I, I try to to kind of... Um, I'm lost for words now because I'm so tired probably. Um, eat again? Reply. No. To repeat what people told me or situations that yeah. I've been in where I received that kind of interaction where people actually often have been kind of hostile to me because they said hostile. that's not how you're supposed to write writing means editing and if you don't edit you can't call yourself a writer and I was like what? okay everybody what do you mean those people? <laughs> I have no idea don't ask so I, don't, so I, I know what places to avoid <laughs> okay first of all that sounds horrible Second, mm-hmm. secondly I think in the end everybody has to find their own way how to write and how to make it work for themselves and um, yes I added pretty much everything even my most of my poetry because it's thing but because I think that it's um, gives it more refinement and it's I really do sometimes think of better ways to put something or um, I might want to add a stanza but yeah in the end I think it all really, really matters whether you can work that way or yeah. Yeah. exactly I mean everybody has their own process yes exactly and I'm still trying to figure out my process with prose mm-hmm. um, with poetry, I've been trying to experiment a bit more. And, um, for instance, writing poems that don't rhyme and making harsh breaks and um, using exclamation marks or no commas. And um, getting to modernism. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, I think I should move forward even with my poetry, even though I know that it will probably always be heavily influenced by romanticism. But I mean, you said that you're still considering writing prose or that you're actively doing it, and then I'm wondering why not stick with one, or do you want, why do you want to do both? Because you said. You're actually more of a poet than a prose writer? I am more of a poet than a prose writer, but... Um, <laughs> that's really not something I, I 
asked for being employed. <laughs> that's the way I, I felt at the beginning. Like, oh, why did this happen to me? I that's not something I ever aspired to be. <laughs> um, and for a long time, I asked myself why people were still writing poetry in the twenty first century. <laughs> yeah, then I ended up <laughs> writing poetry myself. Um, you know, um, I read really a lot more prose than poetry, and um, partly it's that I still do like prose, and I want to write prose and um, write good short stories or even novels at some point. I, I mean, I'm not there yet, but at some point in the future, maybe. And um, there are some ideas of mine that just won't really translate into a poem. I see. I mean, I'd be happy to write um, longer poems with plots and in blank verse or whatever, like Aurora Day by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I'm just reading currently, it's white and smart. But I think that format is pretty much dead in the 21st century and irrelevant, so what's the use in writing it? Hmm. Interesting question. I mean, when I think of, of a story in a poem, the most famous poem coming to mind is Goethe's Erlkönig. Okay. And I think that poem is still very relevant. Because, I mean, maybe just because it's so famous and everybody learns it in school and it's kind of like the poem that we know. But also, I think it just is brilliant. I think it is a really brilliant piece of writing. And then when you look at other poems that Goethe wrote, they're just... I, I really find them brilliant. I mean, I haven't read that many, but the, the ones that I know. So I guess they can stay relevant. They can, but um, I think... Epic poems or just longer poems with plot in general um, are very much a thing of the past, um, mostly 19th century, and um, I can't imagine who would want to publish something like that nowadays. <laughs> we will. The universe will. I'm never, I wouldn't be too quick to call any kind of genre of poetry dead, because it only takes you know one new spin, one new aspect to what you're doing, and... It all, you know, it's so unpredictable. Uh, everything might happen, I think. But if you look at contemporary poetry, I mean, I know that um, I don't view it in a, gen in a very positive light in general, but <laughs> um, there are certain tendencies to um, not stick to strict rhythm or rhymes and wouldn't it be to some extent um, a, either a revival or a step back to even to go back and um, use those, those yeah. methods yeah with, especially with the formal aspects yeah. but I I think longer poems that also have a plot, even if they don't have um, a, like the proper format or rhymes or anything, still have like potential. I'm thinking of a modern version of uh, Robert Frost poems, for instance. His poems sometimes they they even read they read like a bit like a more poetic kind of novel when it's two characters engaging mm. about an issue. And I'm sure there's plenty of these things. I just think 
they are not like as famous as other things, but that doesn't mean that they are not being published. Well, I did some research on the topic. Okay. <laughs> and I'm a good expert here. <laughs> no, I wouldn't call myself an expert on the topic, but um, I mean, when it comes to, let's just call it epic poems for now, there are some really famous ones from the 19th century and um, the latest really famous one I can think of is The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. Mm. Mm-hmm. After that, kinds of gets gigantic obscure and there's not really much in that format that's actually well known. Mm-hmm. Mm. But still that doesn't mean that it's not being published. True, but um, there's no way of knowing what's out there that has not been published until now. I know, but in philosophy there's a branch that calls, calls itself logics, and in logics there are two, kind of, two kinds of assumptions that you can make. One of them is called induction, and that basically says that you can never uh, falsify something by saying, okay, I saw one black swan, therefore all swans must be black. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the same thing we're doing now, because we can't know if a poem like this is not being published. I mean, or just because one isn't being published, we don't know if all of them are being published. It's the, so it's is that the Popper metaphor, isn't it? Maybe. He, he, he at least uses the metaphor, I don't know if he came up with it, but yeah. you can't say if there's not a black swan out there somewhere. Exactly, and when you see one, like the opposite is just because you saw one doesn't mean that all swans are black. Mm-hmm. True, um, but I think we only can really talk about the things that have been published because there's really no no way, no way of knowing what's out there. Sure, I think and Charles and I are just being a bit nitpicky. Yeah, also, I'm just saying, don't be, I wouldn't want you to limit yourself yeah. just because you think this is never ever going anywhere. Because if you want to write a poem like that, just do. If it happens to you, it happens. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. I'm, I'm not in that situation yet, so I don't have to give it that much thought yes, yet. But um, just in, in, in general, um, I when I did some research on Aurora, they, um, just the fact that um, I only came across it because I read an essay of Virginia Woolf's about it and that it's not really mentioned anywhere even though it's really brilliant speaks for itself mm. I would say that it's a masterpiece of the Victorian period mm-hmm. I feel like we've an issue might be that we've for epic poetry an issue might be that we've lost this kind of oral element that you had especially in epic poetry where it was you know came out of a, of a long tradition of, I suppose, ballads and folk tradition. We don't really have that anymore, but I am hopeful because I have a real feeling that the oral and interpersonal component to art, especially in poetry, is coming back with all of this poetry slamming and stuff like that. I think that's... It's not, you know, it's not sitting around a campfire, but it is us, again, going places, leaving our homes... Mm-hmm and sitting in front of people and listening to their stories. And if I, if I go on YouTube and look at some of the 
slam poetry pieces you find up there, they are telling stories, mm-hmm. just not, you know, in the in the the old format, but it's still it is storytelling, it is humans connecting over poetry and I think that's really nice. That's an interesting thought. I never really thought of it that way, poetry slams. But yes, it that I may actually be true and um I think that's a good thing if well, that would be a good thing if it actually happens. Um, yeah, it doesn't need to be campfire, does it? Mm. I mean, <laughs> not really. Think, I think that might have been the original idea of poetry slams, or maybe that still is how they are being kind of done in other countries. But around here, in my opinion, I mean, I've seen my fair share of poetry slams. I've been to a fair share of them. I only participated once, but never. That's beside the point. Um, I think they are mostly centered on the performance part and not so much on the poetry part, which I find rather sad because often texts or poems that were brilliant don't even get into the second round because they weren't performed as kind of extrovertly as the other texts that lacked in quality, but because the performance was so kind of, yeah, out there, or the person was, I don't know, jumping around and doing tricks. People voted <laughs> that person to get into the next round instead of voting for the person who just read their poem, which was brilliant. Okay, uh, I've never been to Poetry Slam. I, I'd love to go to one, but yeah. That's unfortunately kind of the vibe that I usually took away from it. Usually the person who won wasn't the person with the best text, but usually was the person who kind of was most out there. Yeah, and a good performer. Yes, exactly. Which, for me, is beside the point, because then just call yourself an actor and go to acting (laughs) school. Well, I mean, the performance is always a big part of... It's not called performing a piece for no reason. Yes, but if you perform a piece, then perform a piece that is brilliant and good and don't kind of hide away the fact that you're not as good at writing as at performing. That's that's my issue. But there are several layers to poetry slamming and I I feel that performance and acting is just a big part of it. Should it be purely about the writing aspect of it? No, but the quality of texts that have won the times when I watched the poetry slams were to me really, really hurtful because these texts were just such platitudes, most of them. Okay, that's not a good thing. They were just entertaining and funny on a superficial level and that was it. There was nothing more to them. And they won because they were like, ha, 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 funny. And because the person who delivered them delivered them in in an entertaining and brilliant manner on kind of, yeah, a more subtle note, texts that were actually brilliant, but weren't performed the same way, never got anywhere to the finishing line. Okay, yeah, that's sad, because um, it's a form of literature, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of it. It should still be part of it, or, yeah, most important part of it, really. Also... it's the base, the text. Yeah, and usually, usually sad or thoughtful texts also never make it because people want to be entertained. 
And that's also something that I I, I don't thought know about. that perhaps sad um, texts or um, thoughtful texts could be thought provoking and um, emotional. Couldn't be couldn't they be be delivered that way and but that's exactly the thing a performance like that never wins against the performance of somebody who has a very funny entertaining text who's like the entertainer who says i'm here come on i'm i'm your entertainment for tonight and that's that's my my issue with poetry slamming at least the ones that i saw that i only saw some in in vienna but there i went to multiple different ones and they all had the same i was same experience for me everywhere. Okay. Mm. But I, I know that in, in the States or in the UK, they do it differently. There are YouTube videos of people who won and who had like brilliant, thoughtful texts and they just delivered them in that way and then they won, which is really nice because that would be something that I would really like and appreciate. Mm-hmm. But around here, it's kind of, yeah, about entertainment. Is it okay. always a competition? Yes. As no. far as I know, yes. Mm. Um, they kind of say the person with the loudest applause wins, mm. which is sometimes really hard to say because sometimes it's just you. If you bring twenty of your closest friends, I don't yeah. know, your applause will be louder than other people's, of course. So it's kind of yeah. Like yes, of course, but isn't there usually a topic, an overall topic for a poetry slam? Not always. Sometimes. Okay. Because. Um, it just seems unfair to me to compare funny texts to really sad, moving ones, and because they're two different things, aren't they? Exactly, but they—I I think that would be a really good idea, actually. But I've never actually seen a themed poetry slam. I always had a mixture. Some had one guy once read a text that I really liked. It was just questions that he asked the audience. Oh wow! Okay. And it was questions like. Um, when did you call your grandparents just for no reason the last time? <laughs> or when did you do something nice for someone just because you wanted to without asking for anything in return? And questions like that. And it was really good because I was starting to think, huh, I should, I should call my grandparents again. Or I should, I don't know, hold the door open for someone, for a random stranger just because I can. But again, he, yeah, he didn't win. Okay. Maybe we should organize our own poetry event where we do all the things, or we don't do all the things that annoy Charlotte about, <laughs> about general, poetry events in general. Yeah. Let's call it uh, the poetry slam not to annoy Charlotte. <laughs> poetry a la Charlotte. It's like, a, like an uh, Italian restaurant's menu. Oh yes, please, let's do that. You kind of alluded to it, but you didn't give a definite statement on uh, how long you've been writing or if you've always been writing. I've been writing for most parts of my life. Not always. Um, there were some pauses in between, but um, yeah, from an early age on I was interested in literature and um, liked to write myself. But um, when I was younger I... I didn't really have concentration enough to sit down and finish something. Mm-hmm. Um, then in my teenage years, I, I mostly just wrote um, kind of letters that just um, retold experiences. And then around the age of 
16, 17, um, there was this, this urge to write fiction um, and to finish it, actually. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's something I've been meaning to do for several years now. And um, I was took up projects and abandoned them. And, um, I mean, it's okay that it's didn't finish some of the stuff because it's because it was quite bad in the beginning. <laughs> but um, I started to write, take writing seriously about a year ago only, mm-hmm. and um, even then, I didn't really have enough motivation to sit down regularly uh, because I didn't have the platform to share it and mm-hmm. get criticism. And um, again, I. I tried to force myself to write prose, um, which didn't work out for me. And um, only when I joined the universe last spring did I acknowledge that I was perhaps better off as a poet. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've been writing poetry almost obsessively. (laughs) I had such a creative burst after that. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I wrote quite a lot of poetry in summer month, which was really nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course I've also experienced writer's block quite recently, but yeah, <laughs> happens to everybody. Yeah, it does. I just tell myself that there are periods where I'm just not creative, and I have to accept that. But sometimes and then they pass, and I'm creative again, and then I can write again. But sometimes it's really good to push through that and and get yourself to edit something at least. Mm-hmm. At least in, in my experience, it really helped me. And sometimes I was really productive and had new ideas after a while. Mm-hmm. I just need to sit down and fight that first urge of, well, my brain is empty. I don't know what to write. There are absolutely no words I can mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. If I only have the time to do some editing, push through this. It's something I'm neglecting as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I sat down yesterday evening and, and tried to edit some stuff, which I actually did, but yeah, I haven't been doing that in quite some time. Mm. Yeah, but it's also just not fun. Sometimes it is. Uh, I, I, I have to admit, I don't like it. I mean, sometimes... Um, some of my shorter poems are floating around my head constantly mm-hmm. and sometimes um, the editing process is the same as um, first having an idea for a poem and um, all of a sudden there's one line or two lines or something I want to change about it and I mean one two lines that I want to add and um, with some of my poetry, I'm stuck kind of in the middle of a poem and um, I'm still waiting for the moment to happen to know where to take that poem, to which turn to give it, um, how I want it, want it to be, how I want it to sound like. Um, with some poems it hasn't happened until now and sometimes it doesn't happen for a month. But, yeah. That might be the difference because I usually think that stories I write after I finish them, that they're finished. 
Really? I, I almost never think of my writing that way. It's always a continuum something that's not entirely ended. I mean, it has changed with my English stories. I think since English is not my mother tongue, I have to acknowledge that I don't know everything and that sometimes there is room for improvement. But with my German texts, I'm sometimes even so stubborn that I don't want to accept any criticism because I say, for me, this is perfect and it has to stay like this. And then either people accept it or they don't. Okay. And then either we fight or we don't. <laughs> As you've heard here, editing is difficult. It's not always the thing you want to do, but edit your texts. Because if you edit your texts, you can come to the universe, read them there, and then get a real creative boost out of it and yes. write for months. Yes, do it! Is there any place where people can find your work online, for instance? There isn't, actually. I mean, I created a WordPress website, but I haven't uploaded anything yet. And yeah, it's not even a proper website now. And I'm a bit hesitant about sharing my works. Mm. This is frightening on the internet. It still takes me some courage to even read them at the universe and not knowing who might read them on the internet kind of makes me nervous. Mm, mm. We'll get that. Okay, Charlotte? People know. People know. They've heard before. Mm -hmm. I'll put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. They've also heard before that they can tweet at me, at Leo Engelmeyer, <laughs> if they do wish to do so. This was episode 22 of the Universe podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And you know what? Wherever you're listening to the podcast, just leave a review. Do it. And tell all your friends about it. Do that too. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter. We're at PodUniverse on Facebook. Or you can just write us an email at podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The co-host was Charlotte Zertz. Our guest on this episode was Florentina Jungwirth. And on the editorial board for this episode was also Schlockzeit. Big round of imaginary applause. I hope you visit this planet in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thank you for listening. Now you can do the real applause. Yay! One more episode. Finished. Yes. 22 already.